Well, good evening. If you would turn with me in your copies of Scripture to Romans chapter 5. We're going to begin a a new series for the month of January, uh, at least four of the Sundays in in January. We're going to be considering a topic uh, very near and dear to my heart, that is the topic of assurance of salvation. Uh, I've been looking forward to this series now for for a few months, Uh, and so it's with great joy uh, I open this word with you. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Hear now the word of our God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So far, God's word, let's ask his blessing on us. Father, now as we approach your word, a word that you uh, inspired through your apostles and your prophets uh, so long ago, uh, Lord, we pray that uh, your word would be very near to our hearts. Uh, Lord, we do pray for soft hearts that would be receptive to your word. And Lord, if, if our hearts are troubled, comfort us. Lord, if we are complacent, challenge us. Lord, in all things, conform us more to, to your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, assurance of salvation is at the very heart of the Reformation. R.C. Spurl recounts in his series on Martin Luther that he spent hours in the confessional admitting his sins to his confessor, and afterward he would find other brothers to whom he would confess even the slightest sin just to make sure all his bases were covered. Martin confessed that the most minor of picadillos and made a pest of himself prompting his confessor to bar him from confessional unless he needed to confess grievous sins. The profound guilt Luther felt was a direct result of his biblical understanding of God's perfection. He knew that God's justice and holiness are absolute, demanding punishment for even the smallest sins. He could find no peace for his soul because he realized that no work of a sinner, not even penance, could meet the Lord's standard. The great reformer, Martin Luther, troubled with a lack of assurance before he finds, before he rediscovers for himself the gospel of grace. While we may not have had that, that quite the same experience, been troubled as deeply as Martin Luther. For many Christians, confidence in our salvation is elusive. Maybe you have high points where it, it really, you have that sense that you belong to God, He is yours and you are His, and yet then at other times, you, you question, you wonder, am I truly in the fold or not? 
These highs and lows can be difficult to understand and experience. So in, our, in, our, in the first of our four-part series on assurance of faith, I want us to focus in on the question, is assurance even possible? Is what Luther was looking for, is that something that, that can be found or is that just something made up? Are we looking for some sort of experience by having peace in our soul that is not possible, it's not promised in God's Word, or, or maybe it's only available to a select few? Our passage tonight helps us see that because God has justified us in Christ, we can experience true assurance of salvation. It's the main idea. Because God has justified us in Christ, we can experience true assurance of our salvation. We're going to see that this concern was not just Luther's, not just ours, but that Paul has this question in view and, and even answers it with a resounding yes. We can have confidence that Christ has saved us. Paul's argument is basically two parts in these two verses, the first part being the blessing of justification, and then the second part, the, the benefits, the blessings that flow from that justification. The first justification, this, this key blessing we read of in verse 1, it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In order to discuss assurance, we need to look first to this foundation. Here in our passage, it's referred to as justification. Justification is one of those, those good Christian words that, that you hear a bunch and maybe you only hear explained a few times. What does Paul mean by justification here in our passage tonight? Well, we see with the therefore, he is summarizing what came before in chapters 1 through 4. Romans 1 through 3 highlighted that man has so fallen out of good standing with God by his sin that he is wicked and hostile to God, and that he is deserving of wrath and curse, both in this life and in the life to come. But at the end of Romans 3, Paul brings in the good news that right standing with God is actually a gift. It's a gift that he gives in his son, Jesus Christ. Apart from anything that we could do, apart from any of our works or actions, anything that we could claim for ourselves as having done in our power and our strength, God sets us right in Jesus. Then in chapter 4, Paul highlights from the Old Testament example that Abraham, the great father of the faith, his standing with God came not through what he did, but because of the faith that God worked in him to believe the promises. Abraham was justified by faith in the promises of God. Paul called that act of God to make Abraham and all believe who believe in the promises of God in good standing, justification. What do I mean by good standing? 
Good standing means that whenever you would go to maybe someplace like Costco, and you know they have the checker at the door to make sure that you have the card. Did you pay or did you not pay? Are you of the status of member or are you not a member? Can you come in and enjoy all those wonderful things they have at Costco or do you have to stay out in the cold and hope that somebody would bring you a hot dog of some sort? God brings us into right standing and that is called justification. We have the status of being right with God, righteousness. The Westminster Shorter Catechism helps, helps explain this uh, in question 33, when it says justification is an act of God's free grace in which he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. God's justifying act was the one-time declaration that he had pardoned all of our sins. Pardoned, children, means forgive. God forgave all of our sins and declares us righteous, accepts us as righteous in his sight. When did this happen? When did God justify us? How did this come about? came about through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is through the gospel that we proclaim. Romans 4, the, the very verses that come before Romans 5, so if you have your Bible open, you can even read this. Starting in verse 24, it says, It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised, in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Our sin was counted to Jesus. He received the status of sinner, of wicked. He was made to be sin, he who knew no sin. And we received the righteousness of God. That is, the, the, all the good things that Jesus did in his life, those things were counted to us credited to us as if we did them ourselves. That is justification. Christ died paying the penalty of our sin, and yet he was risen from the grave as a sign that the penalty that we deserved had fully been paid, completely, all the way, not some little bit left to come back at you, it's all paid for. Just as Jesus has been freed from the grave, so we have been freed from sin, from the, the, the condemnation that comes from our sin. Paul says here that this is important too, that we are justified by faith in Christ. That past justifying act of God through the work of Christ is applied to our hearts by his spirit, working faith in us to believe Christ and to take hold of his righteousness, to, to grab onto Jesus and, and, and clothe ourselves in him. Faith to believe in Christ is not a work. 
Sometimes you, you maybe sit there and think about it. Well, isn't faith something I do? It, it is a response, but it is a spirit-worked response in your heart. Faith is a gift that you exercise because the spirits work within you. So we can see justification is this incredible benefit of salvation. We have been fully pardoned and we are counted righteous before God. Yet scripture teaches that from justification flows other benefits as well. And and these benefits flow from justification and because justification is in Christ, they come to us by Christ as well, through Christ. Paul focuses in on three key benefits. And these benefits sort of form a a constellation, you know, Orion's belt, those three stars that you can trace out, or or, uh, the Big Dipper that form that shape. These three benefits form the shape of assurance. They reflect the assurance that comes from knowing that we have been fully and freely forgiven in Christ. So what are those benefits? What do, what do we see? Look with me again at verse 1. It says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through, whom, uh, through him, we have also att- obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of glory. Three key benefits that relate to our present experience of assurance of our faith. The first is peace with God. Given the nature of justification, Paul quickly and readily highlights the peace that we have with God. Elsewhere, Paul speaks of reconciliation, the idea that, that the beef that we once, uh, that once existed between us and God has been squashed. Hostility that existed as as uh, you might remember from Genesis, the enmity that existed between us and God has been put to death. God has pardoned us and sees us as righteous in Christ. This state of peace, this objective reality that we have peace with God should lead to the experience of peace within our souls. Luther describes this peace as peace consists properly in an appeased conscience and confidence in God, just as conversely, the lack of peace means spiritual anxiety, a disturbed conscience, and mistrust of God. What does that mean? Well, you've experienced this before with a friend. At least I think you probably have. Maybe you and a friend have a falling out. You're not talking for some reason, but then reconciliation happens. You're, You're made at peace with each other again. And those fears and struggles that you might not have shared with that friend for that time, you now go to them freely and share more openly now. That is experiencing the peace that has been brought about in your friendship. Likewise, with God, 
knowing that we have peace, that there's not some little sin that's going to come back that God's going to say, yeah, but, but that, that, that's really a, a reason to reject you. God has forgiven it all. So you can have peace, not fearing, not anxious, that your, your fellowship with God is going to be broken. Now this makes sense as a, as a benefit of our salvation because Christ himself is referred to as the prince of what? Peace. In Isaiah 9. Our justification leads to peace with God. We see another benefit that's mentioned here is that we have access to grace. Access to grace. There's a little bit that's hidden here in the English. I'm going to do the Greek nerd thing here and say that that the verb that is used here, the two verbs that are used here are in the imperfect form, which means it's something that happened in the past but has continuous effects. What we see is we have continued access to the grace of God in which we continue to stand. This language of of in which we stand seems to be Paul's tongue-in-cheek way of referring back to Psalm 24, where David asks, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? David responds, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. We have access into the very presence of God. And we can stand because of the grace that has cleansed our hands and made our hearts pure. Because justification is the one-time declaration of the forgiveness of our sins, we do not lose access to the grace of God ever. There's no point in time where God cuts us off. That means no matter the time of day, no matter the place, no matter the situation, God's grace is always for you. God's mercy and kindness to you is not sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes a closed door, sometimes an open door. No, Christ has knocked the hinges off the door that you can stand in God's favor. Even when you've sinned, your justification is not shaken. Your status as righteous in Christ has not been lost. You never lose access. You have a lifetime pass to the kingdom. Maybe some of you are planning on going to Disney World or Disneyland. I always get them confused, and I'm sure those of you who love Disney are going to come and explain it to me afterwards. But you imagine not just being able to you have your one pass that you can go into and maybe you miss out on some of the rides, but you're having to make a decision because you only have the one ticket and that's the only time you can get in there. No, you got the season pass. You, 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 can, you can have it all. You can go and enjoy it all. It's all available to you. And it, but it's even better than that, right? Disneyland closes at night. Disneyland is only available at certain times, and and the rides, as fun as they may be, as all the enjoyment may be, the grace that is available in Jesus Christ is far better 
so far better than what Disney has to offer. You never lose access in Christ. That's the second benefit that corresponds to our assurance. The last one that Paul talks about here is is probably the most important for understanding the constellation. This is the one that that you're going to fix your eye on the most easily, and you can see the other two coordinate as well. That is rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. We can have confidence that leads us to rejoice. You rejoice in those things that you're, you're sure of. If you're looking at another translation, it might say even boast. Boasting. I thought we were not supposed to boast, but God calls us to boast in the salvation that he has accomplished for us. And what does this phrase mean, hope of the glory of God? It's, it's, it's all good words, but what do those three words particularly mean together? Paul has in view the common glory that will appear when Christ appears again. We know this because of Romans 8, where Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That is the glory that is associated with Christ's return at the end of the age. We can boast in that hope. We can have joyful confidence that Christ is coming again and that declaration that God made over us of right status that continues even at that point as well. We don't have to worry about some future judgment, but we can look forward to that day knowing that we have been fully forgiven, that there is no sin that is going to come back on us and condemn us. It's been fully and freely forgiven. The idea of of boasting in the things to come. I'm not really a soccer fan. I know some of you were watching the World Cup, right? Can you imagine boasting in your favorite team, boasting in their victory even before they played, even before it happened? You know, you go on Twitter and you you talk trash on the other teams and everything like that, and then what happens? Team loses. Three to one. Terrible. You're put to shame because you were boasting in something that was not secure. But we can boast in what Jesus has done and what is coming because Jesus has already won the victory on the cross. Our justification has has already been accomplished. So we can boast in what's to come. We can rejoice in, in the hope of that one day that is coming as surely as Jesus came the first time, he will come again. As I noted, in some sense of the three, this is the clearest expression of assurance of salvation that's flowing from justification. Even the the confession writers, the Westminster Confession writers who, who wrote chapter 18 of the confession, which is on assurance of salvation, allude to this this benefit here. 
They say, yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. Because Jesus has accomplished our salvation, our hope will not put us to shame. So we can rejoice even this day, knowing that God has saved us. To be clear, this passage is focused on justification. I could preach another sermon on adoption and another uh, sermon on sanctification and those also feed our assurance as well, but, but this is probably the clearest way of getting at that assurance is possible because God has justified us in Jesus. We can be sure that we have truly been saved in him. How should this shape our perspective? How should this shape the way that we approach our lives, approach the way that we think about God, the way we think about our salvation. Well, first, and I want to walk carefully here because I don't want you to hear me saying something that I'm not. If you come from a church tradition or background that doubts whether assurance is possible, I would implore you to meditate on these words, to meditate. Uh, now, I'm not encouraging you to go adopt some Eastern practice of, you know, sitting in solitude and saying om a bunch of times. By meditate, I mean memorize, think about, consider, mull over, have it in your head and think on it over and over again. The self-doubt and constant questioning of our salvation is not the picture that Paul portrays of the Christian life. He does recognize it as a reality, but the way that he describes our salvation is that the salvation that has been accomplished in Jesus should lead us to assurance. It's a, it's a natural benefit, a natural outcome of what has been accomplished. He views believers as having joy and confidence in what Christ has done for them. I'm not saying this to ridicule you, but to say that various theologies that hold assurance is not possible often lead to a greater fear and anxiety than the peace that's described in this passage. Maybe like Luther, you have imbibed the Roman Catholic teaching that justification is not the one-time declaration of God's free pardon, definitive and unchangeable, rather that justification is progressive and includes our growth in grace, so that it's not merely by, by, the, by the action of Christ alone that we are saved, but we must contribute to our salvation in this way of our right standing with God. That view leads to the constant question that Luther was asking. Have I done enough? Instead of asking the question, did Christ do enough? When you're doubting, did Christ do enough? Did Christ do enough to fully satisfy 
the wrath of God for all who would believe in him. Did Christ do enough? Are you satisfied in what has satisfied the Father? Maybe others of you were taught that because the decree of election is hidden in God's secret providence, we can never really be sure. And yet Peter calls us to make our election sure. He assumes that this is something that can be done. Scripture teaches in many different ways with many different terms and lines of reasoning that we can be assured of our salvation. So again, meditate on Romans 5, 1 through 2. Meditate on it day and night. Preach it to yourself as you lie in bed, as you drive wherever you go. Teach it to your children, to your neighbors. Preach it to yourself. Because God has justified all who place their faith in Christ, you do not need to fear that you've missed out or that you aren't accepted. It is as certain as the death and resurrection of Christ. And if you're struggling with this, please talk to a mature Christian. Talk to a pastor, an elder, or a close friend who can who can again and again remind you of the gospel of Christ on on that one-to-one level, encouraging your heart. I would also encourage you, uh, I'm doing a plug here for this series, to come back. We're going to be looking at other questions like, how certain can we be of our our assurance? How do we grow in our assurance? And and also, what do we do if, if we lack assurance? We're going to be handling each one of those questions. So please return. Please come back and hear us continue to unfold the Word of God. But a second way that this passage should influence you is in a way that I have yet to touch on, but it seems wise to reflect on. It is, uh, is that there are some people who are assured who shouldn't be. The confession touches on this by speaking of hypocrites and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and the estate of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish. Unfortunately, the broader culture around us, both both in the church but also in the world, It is popular to believe that we're really not so bad, that the default is basically that everybody is is pretty cool with God, and that as long as you don't make any big mistakes, all will be forgiven when you die. That is the reasoning of carnal presumption of being in the favor of God. If your presumption is that God is basically cool with you and that you will enter heaven when you die... If, if you are not trusting solely in the work of Christ alone, your hope is false, and it will ultimately let you down. If you sense that is you, let me implore you, be reconciled to God through the perfect work of Christ. That's what this passage is teaching, is there is no way to have peace with God, to have acceptance with God, except through faith in what Jesus has done. 
Not in the works that you do. Not in the kind of person that you are. Not because you have achieved some status, because you own something, because you have a certain relationship to someone. I'm speaking to you children as well. God is calling you to repent and to acknowledge your sin and your failure to live according to his righteous standard and to place your whole trust on Christ for your right standing before him. Christ lived and died and was raised so that all who trust in his work would receive the gift of free and full pardon from their sin. Don't wait to do this. Don't leave tonight thinking you're okay or that you'll have time in the future because the concerns and cares of the world get in the way. If you have questions, please come and speak to one of the pastors or elders. We would love to talk and pray with you and tell you about the free gift of of Jesus for salvation. We want you to know the delight of peace with God through His Son. So if you've placed your faith in Christ, you can have confidence that Christ died for you and that He will raise you to enjoy His glory forever on the last day. Amen. Let's go to Him now. Our Lord, as we approach the throne room. Lord, we know that we can draw near because of what Christ has done. That we we always have access because we have been accepted in Jesus. And so, Lord, now we, we ask and pray that you would apply these words to our heart. That they would not be lost, but that they might bear rich fruit pleasing to you. Lord, and that fruit would be that we would have greater confidence of what you have done in Jesus for us. That you have accomplished what we could not. That you have have brought us back into right standing with you through, through his work. Lord, we pray that you would give us greater confidence, greater joy, greater peace when we think about our standing before you. Lord, I pray for those who in, in this time are, are not experiencing that assurance. Beloved brothers and sisters in Christ who are weighed down, weighed down because of things in their past, weighed down because of something that's going on in their life. Lord, I pray that you would give them the freedom that comes in the gospel. Father, we, we pray as well for those are trusting in themselves, trusting in their works, trusting in what they've done, as if that will make them okay. Lord, please convict them. Convict them of of how they actually stand. May, May they hear these words and take them to heart, Lord. Father, we pray that you would be with all of us that you would cause us to look to our Savior more and more, that we might know the abundance of of the riches of your grace that you have made available in him all the more, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name.
Amen.